I have used a lot of commerce platforms in the past. By far, the most robust is Shopify. No matter how complex your business needs and no matter how large your business grows, Shopify can handle it. And they do handle it for brands like Rothy's, Ruggable, Allbirds, Knox, Magnolia, Brooklinen, Glossier, and Cotton, to name a few. You may already use another e-commerce platform, and you may be super unhappy with it, but you've already put a lot of work into it, and migrating to Shopify could seem impossible. But I'm here to tell you that it is quite easy. When I migrated to Shopify back in 2022, their apps and tools meant I just had to make a few clicks and everything was ported over as if by magic. Shopify also lets you design your storefront however you like, which, from personal experience, I know isn't the case for many other commerce platforms out there. All these features and all this control can result in more sales more often, so stop leaving sales on the table, switch your business to Shopify today, and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their businesses. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial at shopify.com forward slash practical, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com forward slash practical, shopify.com forward slash practical. Good morning, Prakoptan. Welcome back to Practical Stoicism. I hope you're doing well. We're coming up on the end of the year, and I am working on the words I need to say thank you to all of you. I suspect that the New Year's Eve episode will just be a bunch of thank yous, but until then, thank you for your support this year. And today we're going to be working through Meditation 35 of book number four. But before we do that, I just want to let you know, today I'm going to release one of those little special message episodes that I do sometimes to let you know about some cool new things I've got going on, some new people who are joining the team here at Practical Stoicism. So be on the lookout for that. I don't want to include it here because you already have to listen to the ads and I don't want to make it any longer until we get to the content, which reads as follows today. Everything is only for a day both that which remembers and that which is remembered. Rounding out what seems to have thus far been a week about remembering our temporality, Marcus is reminding us once more of our temporality. But he's focusing on one specific aspect of it this time around, and perhaps making us think in a way that finds us finally understanding the idea of temporality fully and once and for all. It's not just the things which people remember that are eventually forgotten, it's the people who remember those things themselves as well. No matter how famous you become, every generation remembers you a little less because fewer individual people will have cause to remember you. As I've said before, your kids will remember you, and their kids as well. But those kids' kids? You'll be a photograph on the mantle, a search result on Ancestry.com. And those kids' kids' kids? You'll be even less than that. Nothing about you will be remembered because the number of people capable of remembering you will, over time, dwindle. There's this idea, and I can never remember what culture it comes from, but I think about it often. It's the idea that you die two deaths, and it's represented somewhat in the film Coco, which I love and you should watch if you haven't. The idea is that a person dies two deaths. The first is the sort that we're all familiar with, right? We die. And the second is when the last person on earth who is capable of remembering you, or who remembers you in fact, dies themselves, leaving no one on earth who has any memory of you. And if we think of memory like that, as a thing that in order for you to have, you must have first-hand 
knowledge or a first-hand relationship with the thing you're remembering, and not just, oh, I remember Marcus Aurelius, he wrote that book, then not even Marcus Aurelius is truly remembered. And if that doesn't make sense, try to stick with me here. I promise there's, I think, a good point in this one. Think about what Marcus's wife would remember about him, and what his children would remember, and his grandchildren. But what about his great-great-grandchildren? What would they remember? Nothing. Nothing direct. Marcus might be infamous. He might seem eternally famous or quote-unquote remembered, but he's not remembered at all because remembering something is recalling your direct relationship with it, right? For example, you couldn't say, I remember the day my grandparents met for the first time because you don't. You might well remember the story. Perhaps you've heard it a thousand times, but you don't remember their meeting. You remember the story of their meeting. So do we remember Marcus Aurelius? Not really. We remember nothing of him that he didn't write down. And if people hadn't created marble busts of him or paintings, we wouldn't even know what he looked like. We'd just be familiar with his writing. Is that remembering someone? I think it's interesting to think of memory in this way. And the ancient Greeks might have looked at it the same way. Perhaps if you asked them if they remembered their great-great-great-great-great-grandmother, they might have said, What do you mean do I remember her? Of course I don't. I never knew her. How could I remember someone I never knew? When we think of memory as only being something one with direct history of the thing being remembered is capable of having, it's even easier to understand how quickly we become irrelevant because we aren't the sum total of our parts or the things we did, right? Marcus was an emperor. He wrote the meditations. We know some things about him, but what do you think is more likely? That we know more than we don't, or that we don't know more than we do? Certainly we know almost nothing of Marcus. For example, how did he laugh? What did that sound like? If we really remembered him, wouldn't we know that? How did he interact with his wife when out in public? If we knew him, if we really remembered him, we'd know that too, right? What sort of nervous tics did he have? What was his favorite fruit? How did he start his day exactly? What cute little things made Marcus Marcus that we'll never know? Because the last person capable of remembering those things died a very, very long time ago. And when you die, no one is going to remember how funny you were for very long, nor how mean a serving of avocado toast you could whip up in your kitchen, nor how you made them feel when you paid attention to them, or how you helped them when you did because those people will be dead very soon after you are. Then everything is just a second-hand recollection, and a poorer and poorer second-hand recollection as the generations roll on. Again, I think looking at memory in this way is a really helpful way of understanding our half-life as far as our legacy is concerned. Any legacy we're hoping to build, any lasting fame we're trying to achieve, it must be in the impact we have on others in order for any legacy or lasting fame to come together in any concrete way, for any length of time, any significant length of time. So you invented the light bulb. Great. But you're not remembered in the way we've just defined being remembered for any longer than anyone else. Really, as soon as your grandkids are dead, no one really remembers you anymore. But your legacy is certainly more useful to the world in an ongoing and fundamental capacity than a legacy of playing Nintendo games all day. People still play Nintendo, right? Or is it all Xbox now? Either way, I hope I'm making sense. 
legacy does matter, at least I think so. And I think we should envision that it matters, but not because people remember our name or something silly like that. We should view it as mattering because it continues to be helpful. If we view legacy and fame as utility, as usefulness, I think the Stoics might have said chasing such a thing was a preferred indifferent. Today, I want you to think about your memory as legacy. Think about your legacy as lasting utility, and perhaps make it a goal in your life to have lasting utility. That, I think, is a fame worth chasing. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Practical Stoicism. If you haven't yet, please consider leaving this podcast a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. And if you'd like to get rid of ads, remember you can do so at stoicismpod.com forward slash members. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, take care. Take care.